Um, let me thank Michael for his friendship and for the kind words and, and Sherwood and Mount Zion for, for your willingness to follow your pastors even when it didn't seem like we knew what we were doing. Uh, but you followed anyway. One of, one of the things that happen a lot, and I, um, I pray that it will change, and it's an indication of where we need to come to, I have a, a large viewing audience of our television ministry on the Sherwood Channel um, who are non-African Americans. And even here um, this week, just great supporters and I would run into people and they said, well, I, I heard you on television or even here. You know, I really like your preaching. And this is what I would get. I want to come to Mount Zion, but is it all right if I come? And we need to understand clearly that um, it is all right for the people of God to worship wherever they want to. And, and, and I always tell them, and I promise you, nothing will happen to you. <laughs> You'll get treated better, better than I do. <laughs> uh, today I uh, come to the last sermon for me in Refresh, and I have enjoyed this wonderful experience. Experience I've been blessed by the preaching and the fellowship uh, with the preachers and and just what an awesome, awesome experience this has been. I am also excited um, just about what God will do with this experience. And so that's, that's the focus of uh, my sermon today. Many of you have heard me say through, during the week that Micah gave us a theme and a list of questions to consider as we preached. And one of those questions had to do with whether or not the power of the Holy Spirit could be sustained? And that's a good question because if it's just for today and cannot be sustained beyond the day, we're in trouble. And so we're going to look at that. And I solicit your prayers today. And before I forget it, let me say to the members of Mount Zion, I will see you later this afternoon. And if I don't see you, I'm going to have holy indignation. Amen. <laughs> um, let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for, for this privilege that you've given to me to stand here now and proclaim your word. Speak to my heart. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. And let everything that I say and do be pleasing in your sight. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. From the book of Acts, chapter 2. I want to start reading at verse 41 and read verses 41 and 42. And the message will really come from the entire book of Acts, but I dare not read all of that. Uh, but verses 41 and 42 from the King James Version says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto the church about 3,000 souls 
and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And for the next little while, I want to preach from uh, this thought, and it's, it's a question that I want all of us to take very seriously. And the question is, what next? What next? And I pose those questions because I am concerned not just about refresh, but about the direction that the church is going in the sense that we have become experts at putting on events. And we come together for the events, have a high and glorious time, go deeper in the Lord. But then when the event is over, there's little evidence that the event made a difference. And I know deep in my heart, because I know Micah's heart, that he does not want Refresh to be just an event. That the members of Sherwood and the members of this community uh, work to put forth and speakers come in from different places and pour their heart out and share what God has given. And, and we are like the fellows on the mountain of transfiguration. Lord, it's good to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. In other words, let's, let's just stay in this moment. Let's not worry about what's happening in the valley. He wants it to be more than an event, but from Albany, Georgia, it is my prayer, his prayer, and all of those who've gathered here, it is our prayer that God uses this conference to impact the world for him. And, and, and that can only happen if we get the question right, what next? If we follow through on the what next, God can take this event and transform the world starting in Albany, Georgia. And do you know that? That would be magnificent. People are coming to Albany, Georgia now just to see what's going on. They're coming to talk and, and to question because they're wondering how could so many things be happening in a little town in Albany. But the half hadn't been told. If, if, we, if we get it right behind the what next, they will, they will literally come from all over the world to see what happened. And so today, I want to just suggest to you that in, in the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2 in particular, there was an event. And those folk who were at the event had to wrestle with the question, what next? What do we do after this wonderful mountaintop experience? And I call this experience the first revival for the Christian church. The first revival for the Christian church. And I am glad to report that when you read the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament really grows out of what happened in the book of Acts, we discover that the people got it right. Because these men and women who were part of this experience changed the world. They were accused of turning the world upside down for Jesus. I want to be accused of that. 
I want to be accused of changing this world for Jesus. And I want you to note something here. When you, when you, when you look at chapter 1, you know, Jesus gives the instruction to wait on the Holy Spirit. And they go in the upper room. And there are 120 people in that upper room. I want you to note something. 120. I don't know what the population of Jerusalem was, but I guarantee you, 120 was a drop in the bucket. You read the names of the people who, who are in that upper room. And uh, starting at verse 13, there are some names listed and then some generalities, women, and then few, a name of few women. But um, what you won't find in that upper room, you won't find the leading influencers and power brokers in the room. There, there, there is no representative from the Chamber of Commerce that claim they want to make Jerusalem the good life city in the room. The mayor, the commissioners of Jerusalem are not at the conference. They say they won't change. But at the place where change takes place, they're absent. The, the people who, who say they want to invest in children and transform their lives are not in the upper room where real transformation can take place. They're not there. Um, the leading rabbis, I'm, I'm sorry, pastors of the local synagogues, churches, are not there. They're absent. And some would say, because those folk are not here, and because the 120 is simply a drop in the bucket, we really can't change the city or impact the world. But they've got a commission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and there's only 120 in the room. And absent from the room are the folk who are supposed to be in charge of making the city the good life city. But what you don't hear from the people is a bunch of excuses in the upper room. What you see is some obedience to go and wait for the one significant event that will give them the power to impact the world for Christ. He says, you go and wait on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, then you'll have the power. And, and when you read chapter 1, it says they were up there for 10 days. Now, that, that would have been a challenge for some of us. Four days is a challenge. I can see it on your faces. You're saying, I am so glad that today is Wednesday and refresh is over. I couldn't take one more day. In the morning, at lunch, at night, two preachers for night, two preachers in the morning, sermons in the middle of the day. Five, that's too many sermons in one day. <laughs> but for 10 days, they were there. 
And in God's own time, on the 10th day, he showed up. And an event occurred that had never happened in the life of the people in that room or in the life of what we now call the church because it was the birth. It said that the Holy Spirit decided to come in. Sounded like a mighty rushing wind. Tongues of fire start leaping around the room and, 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 and the people were overtaken by that Holy Spirit. And from that point on, something happened. But here is why the right thing happened. After the Holy Spirit came in and empowered them and did what it did on that day, they made the right choice. They answered some questions, and they got it right. Can I tell you, in my spiritual sanctified conversation with God, he shared with me what they got right and told me to share it with you. Can't tell it all, but I'm, I'm going to give you enough for us to go on. So the first thing they got right is they got the control question right. When the Holy Spirit came, he took over. God, the Holy Spirit, had to be in control. Part of his ministry is to lead and guide. He had to be in control. And, and, and you got to understand the significance of this because most of these people, if not all of them, have come out of a religion called Judaism that had become corrupt. And it was corrupt because instead of being controlled by God, they were controlled by 72 men uh, who made up the Sanhedrin council and a set of rules and regulations that controlled them. And everything had to be interpreted through, passed by this group and their rules and regulations. And you may be saying, thank God we don't have the Sanhedrin, you better slow your roll. Because in our churches today, rather than the Holy Spirit being in control, there are still pockets where men, mostly some cases is women, but where men and a set of rules and regulations we call constitutions and bylaws that operate and govern our churches. Not the Holy Spirit but men who sometimes not even saved decide who can come in and who has to go out. Decides who can serve and who cannot serve. Decide what God can do through you and what God cannot do th through you. Decide what's truth and what's not truth. And not just in the church, but we we belong to larger Sanhedrins called conventions and associations. And there are laws and bylaws that govern us and our churches do not operate. And, and, and in many cases, what's a part of those bylaws and constitutions are rules that render God's chosen leader for the church impotent. Pastor can't do anything unless... Uh, I understand it's bold, B-O, you know, but the bold, that's what I call it. The bold got to make sure it's all right. 
And if the pastor don't do what the board said, then the board call him in and, and, they, and, and they get on him. And, and if he don't like right, then the board would vote him out. That's foolishness. In um, convention that I'm a part of, we had a, a problem. And um, the person who had the issue asked for a meeting with the executive committee of the Sanhedrin. And I heard something at the table that literally blew me away. The person made their presentation and said, Mr. President, I agree that I fail to follow the guidelines of this convention. But in the spirit of the God that we serve, I appeal to this convention for grace. And the president leaned back and while calming the other brothers down who wanted to respond, he spoke on their behalf. And here are his exact words. Brother so-and-so, there is no room for grace in this convention. He's a pastor. He's a president. But he said, there is no room for grace. He said, but Mr. President, we are the church. He said, no, we are not the church. We are the convention. And as long as we insist on being in charge, we don't answer the question right. And not only in terms of our churches, but in our own individual lives, in that upper room, folk decided to surrender control of their lives to the Holy Spirit. So much control it made them do some things they were not used to doing because folk got confused and said they're drunk. And, and, and you wouldn't have called them drunk if they were sitting there like you were sitting there. Well, something funny was going on. You know, what, you know what it was? They were living under the influence. Those of us sitting in here, you know, we, we like to look at the big picture and say, well, I wish the church would get right. You are the church. You got to get right. You got to stop being the big shot in your own life. We, we like to say, well, God gave me common sense. I beg to differ. He didn't. God has never given us anything common. God is too good, too great to deal in common stuff. God gives us wisdom. And that's so much better than common sense. Giving us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind, wisdom, that ain't common sense. So you, are you willing to give God control of your life and to let God control the church? You hear all the time about church fights. They, they, they've had a couple on the internet lately. One, you know, one woman slapped the preacher, the preacher slapped the back. One pastor up preaching, a group uh, decided they didn't want him, and when he got up to preach, they started shouting him down. Police escorting folk out the church. Because somebody deciding that they are in control. Lisa, I tarry too long. When you surrender control to God, 
Next thing that happened in this upper room is change took place. Change. And you see, that's, that's, that's what got Jesus in trouble. He was talking about change. They wanted him to put new wine in old wineskins. But change. And, and, and uh, look at, at uh, chapter 1 because it's a subtle change that um, we miss. Again, they came out of a religion called Judaism. They had a temple. Am I correct? But it says in verse 13, in that upper room, it names thought out, and when they were come in, they were in an upper room where abode both Peter and James, and then it goes on and names the disciples. Amen? All right, and so you, you have these men that's in that upper room. And then in verse 14 says, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brethren. And that old religion they came out of in the temple, the women would have been in one room and the men in another room. But now everybody in the same room. And you just expand that and make it whatever group you want to make it. Change has to come that starts with inclusion. You can't have walls of separation in the house. And part of what you find in the early churches, they, they had to evolve because they were comfortable in Jerusalem with their own kind. Even Judea, their uh, extended kinfolk. But then they got to Samaria, the half-breeds, as they were called the other day. And then the uttermost parts of the world, some Gentile folk. But there had to be a change because if we're really going to impact the world for God, we just can't impact folk who look like us, act like us, talk like us. But, but there, there, there has to be this idea that the world is the world, no matter what their world looks like. Um, see, see, I am not a black preacher. I'm a preacher who happens to be black, but my preaching is not black and black oriented. It's people and the world oriented. That's my change. Um, and so when the Holy Spirit comes into us, he will change us. And the inclusion piece is just to start, but he, he would change the way we live. Peter was a coward before Pentecost. After Pentecost, he's a courageous soldier. All these little fellows, these little disciples, they, they were wishy-washy, spineless men. And some of these women, one of them in particular in that upper room, she was a prostitute. But now, She's a witness for the Lord. And so he changed them in many, many ways because if the church is going to create change in a community and in a world, we first got to be changed. We cannot sit around and curse the darkness about how bad a place is, how bad people are, if we don't change ourselves. And so we have to change. It can be said that Johnny don't talk to Sue. But that shouldn't be said among us. We ought to talk to all of God's children. Change, change. 
part, part of, of, of that change um, happened because of being born again. Another part of that change happened because after that new birth, the spirit came in and renewed their mind. They renewed their mind and started taking out that old junk. And that's what has to happen to us. We've got to change. In our church, we sing a song, I know I've been changed. The angels in the heaven done changed my name. I said, I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. I started to walk and had a new walk. I started to talk and have a new talk. So the question is, have you really been changed? Those of you who were here the other night, you heard me talk about some of my bad habits. And I can tell you today, I've been changed. And I, and I just shared a few of them. I, I, had a, I had more than what I talked about, but, but I've been changed. Let me, let me say this, too. We have a saying in our church that says some people go in the baptism pool a dry devil and come out a wet devil. But when you went to the baptism of pool, not just of water, but have you been baptized in the spirit? Have you, have, you, have you really been changed? If you're still holding on to old attitudes that you had before you were saved, then something has happened. Because change makes a difference. Look at, uh, let me hasten here. Look at chapter 2 again. And uh, I want to uh, show you something. Our community will change. Um, look at verses 41 and 42. And let me show you something here. He says, then they gladly received, um, then they that gladly received the word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What a revival that was. Extend the invitation, preach the gospel, and, and then 3,000 people come to Christ. Verse 42, look at this new community. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. These people who surrendered to the control of the, of the Holy Spirit, who had truly been changed, here is what they did. They continued. They continued in what had happened to create the change in their lives and the lordship of the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and when did they do it? Every Sunday. But it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And that was every day. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute, not just a Sunday thing. But here is what governs their lives now, the apostles' doctrine. It's, it's, it's the teachings of Jesus Christ that's being opened up to them by the Holy Spirit. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what will create a new community for us. We don't identify our closest friends, and I'm not a separatist. Again, I'm, I believe in, in inclusion. But as, a body of Christ, as the body of Christ, we ought not be living by the world's standards. We ought to be separate. And what we live by ought to be the, the teachings of Jesus Christ and that will distinguish us as a new community within this community. And, 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 and at the core of that teaching will be love. And there's nothing more transforming than love. 
That's, see, see, God did, did, didn't beat us into salvation. He loved us into salvation. It was his love. He had enough power to slap some sense into us, but he didn't do that. He loved sense into us. And so they continued. And what we've got to do is continue in the teachings. All this gospel we got this week, all this good preaching, this good teaching, if you take out my sermons and just get the other folks' sermons, if, you, if, if we continue to walk in what we got already, don't, 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 don't have to get anything new. Just what you got so far, just walk in that. And then it says, and fellowship. I'm not suggesting that you um, take people at your table home with you for the rest of the week. But our fellowship ought to continue. It, it, it shouldn't be next year at refresh when we talk again. It shouldn't be next year at refresh when together we witness for the Lord. Part of what I, I think gets in the way is, is our churches, we are scared of doing something together because we're scared folk going to take our members. But I'm, I'm of the opinion you can't take from me what was never mine. Uh, the fact that you got it is an indication to me that it wasn't mine to start with. It was just pretending. Because my sheep know my voice and another's voice they will not hear. And so if it's your sheep, go ahead on and get them. Show you something. An event happened in Albany, Georgia in 1994. The flood came. The churches came together and worked. But after the event was over and the crisis was over, we stopped working together. Except two. We stopped talking. Some of you don't, don't know this, but during the flood of 94 and shortly after that, pastors from across this community, regardless of race, regardless of denomination, we were meeting from church to church praying for each other. You know that stop? Say, Christ is over now, y'all gone. We don't, and now they don't, they don't even speak to each other. Now, I'm not just, when I say don't speak to each other, I'm just not just talking about across race and denomination. I got some brothers don't speak to me. I got some other Baptists don't speak to me. I got some mad with me for being over here. And, 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 but, but, but fellowship, because it's, it's, it's our distinctive fellowship that, that makes us stand out. By this shall men know that you are my disciples, by your love for each other. And, and I tell you, that for some people, that love is so strange, it will make them run to see what we got going on. I'm coming back to 40. One forty-two in just a minute, but I want to say this, and then I wrap this up. Not only must we get the change and start operating in this new community. Let me back up. I almost forgot one thing. Um, the third Monday in January, this community will come together and go to the Civic Center and celebrate Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream." When one day all people would join together and they'll sit down to the Civic Center and pretend to be one community and say nice things and make nice speeches 
And when the meeting is over and that day is gone, it will be back to business as usual without fellowship. But the body of Christ cannot be guilty of those kind of events and those kind of shows. Put it on television so folk can see it. And only the slow watch it. Because those who, who swift just a little bit know that's a cartoon. So, um, ooh, he, he, he going to be in trouble now. That leads me to the next point. Throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the New Testament, what you see is these men and the women in that room decided to do something, to take up a cross. Because Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And that's the cross, which is an emblem of not just denial, but after the denial comes suffering and shame. In chapter 3 that I preached about yesterday, they, they healed the man. Be, be, before the healing could spread across town, they're being challenged by that Sanhedrin. They're being threatened. They're being whipped. They're being put in jail. And throughout, throughout this, this book of Acts and New Testament, persecution comes. There's shame and there's suffering. And if you're one of those Christians that don't want to be shamed, don't want to be uh, a person who suffers for the cause of Christ, you're not going to make it. Because if we do what we're supposed to do in this world, in the eyes of some folk, we're going to look like fools. But if I'm going to be a fool for somebody, and I've been a fool one or two times for other folk, but I told God, help me. Don't let me be a, be a fool for another human being. But I want to be a fool for you. And so if, if, if I'm going to be a fool and, and, and be made shame, I want to be made shame for the cause of Christ. And if I'm going to suffer, I don't want to suffer as an evildoer, but to suffer for the cause of Christ is something we ought to do. And you know what? The little suffering we go through is not anything compared to what some folk go through. People stop associating with you. Ooh, they don't talk to me no more. I'm suffering. What? <laughs> they lied on me. And folk ain't lying on me, I get worried. <laughs> they don't like me. I ran somebody past, I ran into one of your members. They said they don't like you. I start shouting. If every member at Mount Zion like me, something is wrong with me. My gospel ought to make somebody mad. My preaching ought to convict somebody so, 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 so hard that they get mad with me. And then, and then um, I have some of them come up picking at me. Picking at you? Bro, you just told on yourself. I, I didn't even have you on my radar. But if, the, if my preaching don't convict you and make you think I'm talking to you, something is wrong with the preaching. And so some of the stuff we call persecution is not even persecution at all. And so we got to be willing to suffer real stuff for the cause of Christ because if we're going to change this world for him, you got to take up that cross and follow him daily. Back to verse 42, it says again, um, that they continued in doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread. And the last phrase says, and in prayers. And then if you look at verse 47, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And check this out. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Brothers and sisters, when we surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit, 
let God create some change in our lives and start modeling before the world what a real community looks like. Take up our cross and follow Jesus and then jump down on this prayer thing. See, prayer is an indication on our part that we recognize we can't do this on our own. But prayer is an indication that we are totally dependent on God. And what if instead of texting each other with some foolishness, we took the time to pick the phone up and call and have another voice on the end and say, let's pray for each other. Instead of just doing foolish things, spending our time, what if we came together to pray? Not just when there is an event coming up, but daily from house to house. Nobody has to open the church and leave it open for you to come, but your house has an altar in it. And it's not just an altar for you, but it's an altar for other believers and, and the neighbors in your community can come together and you can have a neighborhood watch called the prayer watch and you can pray for every house in the neighborhood and, and you can pray for those bad kids that live down the street and the bad kids that live in your house and you begin to pray for everybody and you begin to pray for the leadership of this community, to pray for the leadership of this state and the leadership of this country, and what you will discover is the same God that the Old Testament declares has the heart of every king in his hand and can turn it in whatever direction he wants to turn it in. God will start turning the hearts of leaders in our churches and in our community and in this nation and the world toward him to bring about his purpose in the land, but we won't get it talking about it. And you sure won't make it happen writing in a squat box in the Albany Herald. That will not bring about change in the world. What that does is bring about division. It brings about hatred. But if we pray to a God that has all power in his hand, and in the midst of our prayer, we stop talking long enough to listen to see what God has to say, God will give us our marching orders. And he will tell us to go here and go there and do this and do that. And then change will come. And I'm so glad that that last part and said, and God added. And whatever God needs to add to us, for us, around us, to bring about his will in the community, God will add. God will save. I am waiting on the day when we come together to do it God's way, and then we can watch and see what God will do. How God will add to his uh, kingdom those who we thought were unsavable, those who th we thought were unreachable, watch God add them to the kingdom. And then last thing I want to say is, if we dare do this, I stand on the promises of God and say to you, change will happen. We will have gotten the what next right and we will turn this world upside down. And when it begins to happen, the only thing we're in danger of is getting a big head and taking credit ourselves. And so what we have to constantly do in the midst of praying and seeing God change is give him the praise. I, I have a phrase, and I want to close with this phrase. Too many Christians got the hush mouth when it comes to what God has done in your life. And by hush mouth, I mean you can talk about everything else and hoot and toot for everybody else, but when it comes to what God has done, is doing, will do, you get the hush mouth. 
Well, you know, it's a personal thing between me and God, and I don't have to share it, and nobody has to know it. My religion is personal. I don't try to push it on my kids. I have to just expose them to many different things, and I let them make up my own mind. This is a pluralistic society, and I don't want to infringe on the rights of my neighbors and be sharing gold somewhere with that foolishness. If the Lord has done something for you, and you know that he's real as a believer, you ought to be a witness. Somebody ought to know what a difference God has made in your life. If you don't walk like you used to walk, and God is the reason for it, you ought to tell somebody. If you don't talk like you used to talk and God is the reason for it, you ought to tell somebody. If you don't love like you used to love and God is the reason your heart has been changed, you ought to tell somebody. Michael came to Sherwood not long ago and I tell the folk, I told the folk that day, God changed me. I grew up not liking the white folk. I read Elijah Muhammad. He said, y'all were devils. But I'm so glad that God changed my heart and I can love you and you ain't the devil. I know some, but they ain't you. And I'm here to tell you, he will change your life. And I tell the world, he changed me. If he's done something for you, if he heals your body, you ought to tell it. If he straightened your children up, you ought to tell it. Whatever God has done for you, don't be ashamed to say it. Somebody drew up. I can't believe he said he used to didn't like white folk. I can't believe he said he used to call them devil. Tell the truth and shame the devil. I repented and turned from it. God bless you.